Hey everyone, it's Ron Johnson. This is Ron Johnson Show on Locked On Sports Minnesota. Today's show is loaded. I got Santana Moss, former Washington football player, Redskin in his mind, commander now, but receiver. And he has some great stories. Got to talk about that. Got to talk about Daniel Snyder, $7 billion. There's a helicopter involved as well. I seen it. I was at practice when this happened. Santana Moss is going to tell us a little bit about that. And then some about the University of Miami that made them different. But before we jump into the Santana Moss interview, I got to testify. We got to talk about this NFL draft class, especially the Minnesota Vikings, and some players probably need to apologize to. We'll do that next on the Ron Johnson Show. Locked on Sports Minnesota Podcast. It's endless Minnesota Vikings talk with the diverse voices of your local experts. Now the Ron Johnson Show. On the field, in the broadcast booth, Ron Johnson is Minnesota sports. He's played with them, hung out with them, and grown up with all the big names in Minnesota sports. They're hanging out with Ron Johnson. It's the Ron Johnson Show on the Locked On Sports Minnesota podcast. And it starts now. Hey everyone, it's Ron Johnson. This is the Ron Johnson Show on Locked On Sports Minnesota. This episode is brought to you by FanDuel Sportsbook, the official sportsbook of Locked On. Just make every moment more by visiting fanduel.com backslash locked on to get started today. Hey, there's a good bet out there. Suns, they're down 2-0 to the Nuggets. So if you want to make some money and you think this can go to game seven, check out some of those prop bets. But I'm telling you, Kevin Durant and Devin Booker are not going to go into the night quietly. So you might want to put a little bit of money down on the Suns in these next two games. But we also have Santana Moss coming up on today's show. It's going to be a big show. Excited about that one. But we got to talk about this draft pick. The Vikings draft, um, it, it's one of those things you have to sleep on and start to research. And as I bring my producer into the show, Sam Ekstrom, I want to remind everybody, you can get our show on Amazon Fire and Roku TV devices. Just go to your TV device and search Locked On Sports Minnesota and download the app right there to your TV. We'll be right there with you every step of the way. But Sam. I call today a Testify Tuesday. And for the everydayers, uh, get ready for that because we're going to have some Mission Mondays. We're going to have some Testifying Tuesdays. Um, and, you know, we want you guys to come alongside with us. If you see us out there, let us know, hey, you like the testimony today. Uh, let us know you like today's mission. Yesterday's mission was uh, the Vikings need to find a way to get to the Super Bowl. The, the Timberwolves mission was you got to make it work with these two bigs or you got to move on. Uh, but today's testimony, Testify Tuesday. I want to testify to the court, the locked on court. Sam, I got to testify. Mm-hmm. Jaron Hall is a lot better than I gave him credit for. And this is why. Now, has nothing to do with his actual play. I'm going to be honest with you. Because when you see, when you draft a guy, you see the draft clips. You're like, ah, okay. And then you research a little bit. Because I, I, I did some work for the Vikings on Vikings.com. So I had to talk about that. So I watched a little bit. In my mind, though, this is the problem. In my mind, I had 6'3", 6'4", quarterback in my head. I'm like, Kirk Cousins, 6'4", Kevin O'Connell, 6'5", so we need 6'4", 6'5", 6'6". Then I started to think about, well, who else from BYU undersized a lot of hype? And I apologize to Jaron Hall because he is not Zach Wilson. I right away said, you know what, BYU's offense – their, their, their coordinator is legit because he can take Zach Wilson and create an offense, and then he can take Jaron Hall and create an offense. And I love that in the offensive coordinator at BYU. Why? Because a lot of coaches say, this is my offense, and I'm gonna, you're going you're gonna to play my offense. He's like, look, okay, Zach, I know what you're good at. Here's, here's the offense this year. Jaron, oh, okay. I see what you can do, bro. 
here's the offense. And so when you think about that, that BYU system, they ran a lot of zone read. Uh, the quarterback ran a lot. He's an athlete. But I was so caught up in Zach Wilson let us down. Uh, I felt like the Tyra, Tyra Banks moment back when she had the uh, model thing. And the, she's like, we were counting on you. I believed in you. Like, that's how Zach Wilson made a lot of us feel. Because everybody jumped on board with the Jets hoping like, oh, okay, they finally found their quarterback. And it didn't work out. Now, whether it was immaturity, whatever. And so for Jaron Hall, here's one thing. He's a little bit older. I think he's a little bit more, uh, he has a high character guy. You could already see, you know, I think he's married with kids. Uh, so definitely already kind of an adult mindset. You're not going to see him uh, out here sleeping with his teammates' moms. <laughs> he's not, he's not <laughs> going after the Cougars. Who would do that? Even what though BYU quarterback BYU, would do that, Ron? Even though they are the BYU Cougars. I think he got it confused. They are the Cougars. They don't need to sleep with Cougars. Um but Zach Wilson got a little confused there. Like he, he grew up with Cougars. He's like, okay, well, that, that's that's where I go right now. Cougars. Where's my mom's best friends at? But I do apologize to Jaron Hall because the kid's legit. And this is what I say. When you can sit behind Kirk Cousins for a year or two, uh, you can learn in this system. Uh, Russell Wilson, Drew Brees, same height. They were fine. Uh, you look at the running ability. I'm not going to say he's Jalen Hurts or, or, or Justin Fields. Uh, but he has the ability to move. I, I, I'd say not as strong as a Josh Allen, but that type of foot speed of a Josh Allen, but a little bit more shifty. I don't I don't even know where to put him. Uh, but I do got to apologize. I got to testify to the locked-in courts. I apologize, Jaron Hall. Uh, I, I, I spoke too quickly uh, about like – I, and I didn't say bad. I, just, I think I kind of said like, eh, I really wanted the tall kid from Stanford. You know, that was me thinking like BYU, Zach Wilson, that offense – Watching more film as I deep dived him a little bit more, man, that kid's good. And, and I, I honestly could see it. And I'm not going to say this because I said it's about Kellerman and it didn't work out. But I think Kevin O'Connell's a little bit more innovative than Mike Zimmer. I can see Jaron Hall having a package within this offense where it's like, look, if we're in the red zone, what worked for the Eagles? It was Justin. It was uh, Jalen Hurts being able to submarine quarterback sneak, being able to roll out, throw or pass, run or sorry, run or pass. Like two options. If I'm rolling out, I can beat you with my legs. And if you come up and try to cover and tackle me, I'm dumping it over your head. So I don't know if Kevin O'Connor is going to do that, but maybe that's why they drafted him to have to have that option to have a running option uh, when you need him in certain situations because we it, it we've seen it before. We've seen Jimmy Garoppolo in, in San Francisco. Uh, we, we've seen quarterbacks switch out. We saw Debo Samuel's go to running back. So these these coaches are getting innovative. And Kevin O'Connor, I think, is just the next iteration of a, of a coach that's willing to do that. But I don't know. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, well, Ron, it takes a big man to admit when you were wrong. So welcome to the Jaron Hall fan club. Um, I, I, I jumped on this one right away, and I said, man, this guy does stuff that is special. Now, the red flags are obvious. Injuries at BYU were a problem. Mm -hmm. His age, he's 25. So is he kind of maxed out? Does he still have potential to get better? Uh, I don't know. And he's small. And when you're injury-prone and small and mobile, it's not always a great combo in the NFL. Correct. But Pocket manipulations, Ron, the way he bounces around and senses the pressure and can escape when he needs to, that's fun to watch. And he's got a pretty big arm and he's productive. Like Kellen Mond wasn't really that productive in college. I think they just liked his tools and his athleticism. Jaron mm -hmm. Hall, 51 touchdowns, 11 interceptions the last two years, doesn't take many sacks. Uh, I, I really like him. And I hope that he is in a, like a legit battle for the backup job, because if he's your backup, Ron, then he's suited up on game day and then you can use him. Then Kevin O'Connell can really get creative and use him in that Taysom Hill role 
which I think would be a ton of fun. Uh, fans would love it, and that would get him just a little taste of the NFL game just in case he's going to be on the field in a couple of years. Yeah, and so for my second testimony, uh, no, no, I'm not even testifying on this one because I was I was on board from the start. Before we jump into this, because we got Santana Moss coming up, uh, yeah, gonna, I love it because this is a receiver day too, so I got to talk a little receiver quick before we jump to Santana Moss. But I heard in the presser, and we're going to talk about this a little bit more tomorrow too, the press conference for the Vikings just quickly, one of the reporters asked uh, Jordan Addison like, hey, how do you feel at this weight? Like, do you think you'll be able to play at this weight? And he's like, this is my, this is what I am. Like, what do you mean? Like I've been doing this my whole life. And this is where I go with the, that, that I feel like it was a stupid take or question or, and I get it. You have to ask these questions because he is smaller, skinnier, but you know who else was smaller, skinnier and also won a Blitnikoff? Devonta Smith. Devonta Smith won a Blitnikoff. 170 pounds, six feet. Jordan Addison, 5'11", 174 pounds. And the Vikings have a the number one you know food facility in the in the NFL. They have one of the top training staffs in the NFL. They have one of the top uh, 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 smoothie stations in the in the in the NFL. He's gonna he's gonna eat. He's gonna work out. I mean, Coach Keys, the strength coach, he creates programs for those players specifically. He's gonna have a plan for this kid Jordan Addison. And there's a thing about Jordan Addison that Devonta Smith didn't have early on. Early on in his rookie campaign, he didn't have A.J. Brown. He has 64 catches, 900 yards, and five touchdowns. What happens when he gets uh, a Jalen Hurts that's really, really, really ready to go? Also, he gets uh, A.J. Brown to kind of take the he- take, take pressure off of him. 95 catches, 1,100 yards, and seven touchdowns. I'm not going to say Jordan Addison is going to have 95 catches, Sam, but this is what I do say. He has Justin Jefferson, so he's going to have some help. He's going he's gonna to be free to just go catch balls. He is four pounds heavier than Devontae Smith. So I, I thought that was a dumb question, but that's just me. I don't know. What are your thoughts on that quick before we jump to Santana Moss? Yeah, I have no interest in slowing these guys down with, with extra weight. I mean, I, I think the fast receiver is very in style right now in the NFL. And uh, Jordan Addison wasn't phenomenal in his straight line drills. I think he's really quick. I think he's maybe he's quick with pads on he carries his pads well because he does kind of pop off the film and you say wow that guy can fly Mm -hmm. um i don't have any interest in slowing that down just so he can i guess what's the practical benefit maybe he gets off press coverage a little better but is that is it really going to have that much of an impact if he's 10 pounds heavier uh i don't think so i'd rather have a guy flying around stressing the defense uh and there's plenty of you know productive smaller wide receivers in this league as much as, as Kevin O'Connell shifted and motioned, he's going to be an off-the-ball receiver anyway. Justin Jefferson is going to be your X. Uh, he's going to be your Z. So he's going to be motioning. He'll be your W. He'll motion. He'll be in the slot. He'll move around. Like, he's not going to be an on-the-ball receiver all the time. Justin Jefferson is your guy because he strikes fear in DBs, and they don't want to press him all the time because if you miss, goodbye. It's a touchdown, and you're going to get grittied on on national TV. So – it, it is what it is, but we got to jump to Santana Moss. Uh, remember, people, we are a proud partner with Care 11. Just go to care11.com backslash locked on to get all of our videos. And we have a word from our sponsors. We are brought to you by FanDuel Sportsbook. Make a fast break to FanDuel during the NBA playoffs. Right now, new customers get a no sweat first bet up to $1,000 back in bonus bets if your first bet doesn't win. Uh, I also saw a promotion. They've got great promotions at FanDuel where you deposit five and then get 150 in bonus bets back. Those promotions pop up every now and then. They're great to utilize. Sometimes they are boosting your odds on bets. So it might go from plus 500 to plus 600 
for free just for you, the better. Uh, and when, when you win, when you get those boosted odds bets and you cash it in, you get paid instantly. No better place to bet all the playoff action, NBA and NHL, than America's number one sports book. FanDuel.com slash locked on. No sweat first bet. Up to $1,000 back. FanDuel.com slash locked on. FanDuel is an official sports betting partner of the NBA. Well, now it's time for the Hangover Ron Johnson segment, and I'm excited about getting this guest in here. I was a teammate of his for a quick second uh, with the Washington football team back in the day. Uh, but this guy, I mean, he was in the draft class ahead of me, one year ahead of me, and I remember him, Reggie Wayne, uh, Rod Gardner. I mean, he was a receiver that I've always said transitioned from any era of receivers, and I want to bring in Santana Moss, uh, former New York Jet, former Washington uh, commander, I guess now. I don't even know if you guys even say Redskins. I mean, what, what's the deal with that? Like, you was a Redskin, so I'm like Redskin. I mean, I love you know that they allow us to say Commanders, but we was Redskins, so I keep it a thaw and I just say Redskin, and you know, <laughs> everything else politically correct answer would be Commanders. Right. All right. So, uh, man, let's talk about that though, man. The NFL drafts coming up. Uh, players' dreams are to be drafted into the NFL, and, and your dream was answered in 2001, uh, coming out of the University of Miami, uh, yourself, Reggie Wayne, being on the same team and being both first-rounders. I mean, yep. what was that like, uh, not only just getting drafted, but practice, like, all through that process? I mean, honestly, man, um, so from the start, my journey, you know, before the journey even started, that's what, that was my dream. You know, mm -hmm. we all, as kids, probably was asked that question one day, you know, what do you see yourself when you're older or what do you want to be when you grow up? My dad asked me that probably as early as I can remember, five or six years old. And I said, I want to do that. Just watching football. And, you know, most kids say that, but that mm -hmm. was, that was real. You know what I mean? I felt like I had the gift. It was, I feel like from birth, from the, from the day I started walking, if you look back at pictures, if you look, watch me and I, some of the things I remember, I've always had a football. I've always been told that, Hey, you might have a chance of, you know, playing football one day, you know? And, so I, it stuck with me and I had no other dream. Like I had no other goals. When I got older, that, that was my goal. So fast forward to being in a, a collegiate level and coming in the way I came in, you know, you still have those dreams and aspirations, but it, it's, it's not until you really go out there and make a name for yourself when you feel like, okay, this, this can really be true. You know what I mean? Yeah. This really can, you know, uh, come to fruition. So um, to, to end up in a draft class with my teammate who was, to me, was like one of the best guys, uh, wide receivers that I've ever played on the side of uh, with Reggie Wayne to now be talking to say, hey, you could be a first round as well. Man, that was just like unheard of. I didn't care what round when I was young, you know mm -hmm. what I mean? But when I got into college and stopped making a name for myself and stopped making some noise, you know, that senior year, my junior year, when they told me you can leave, I'm like, <laughs> okay, if I really can go now, then next year should be better. So I stayed right. and to both be first rounders, man, I wouldn't have dreamt that dream, but I knew you know, making it was my, you know, my biggest dream. Yeah, man, because I, I watched y'all, um, you know, like I said, as a receiver at the University of Minnesota, myself, David Terrell, uh, you know, because I know David Terrell came out that year as well with you guys. And and so I, I kept an eye on all the receivers, Rod Gardner, because I considered leaving my junior year. So I kind of wanted to see what was out there, man. And 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 I definitely enjoy, even my senior year, watching you guys play in the league, man. I enjoy watching it. Uh, but when you think about like, and, and again, maybe I'm getting this story wrong, but if I'm not wrong, I don't know if you told me this or somebody else, but you like went to Miami on a track scholarship at first and yeah. then ended up playing football. Yeah. So I was, um, 
I got down the track scholarship. Um, the whole process was uh, a couple of guys was on the team already that that had scholarships that had four mm-hmm. rides. One guy was from my neighborhood, Rod Mack. He was a linebacker, a middle linebacker, probably the starting linebacker at the time when I was in high school. And then the other guy was Nate Webster that had played for the rival school, Miami Northwestern. And he had just became a, a hurricane as a linebacker. Also, he was a, a rookie or freshman, I think that freshman year. And they was asked, um, they was told that, hey, we going to watch Carroll City play. And Rod Matt spoke up first, like, hey, if you watching Carroll City, who you watching? And they said he's watching the running back and Delvin Brown, our safety. Yeah. And they was like, watch Santana Moss. He's a receiver. You know, Shannon said, man, they don't throw the ball. That we know that, but he can play here. And so Rod Mack knew me from playing in the neighborhood, just like, man, this dude touched the ball. He can do whatever. And I guess whatever happened that particular night that Coach Shannon came and seen the other guys play, we threw the ball that night. And I made some noise. He called me right after that game, like, hey, this Coach Shannon from University of Miami, I want to, you know, talk to you about a track scholarship. I ain't want to hear nothing about it. <laughs> so I quickly, you know, hung up. And <laughs> – I took visits to Western Michigan, Eastern Michigan. I believe I had something at Utah and Pittsburgh was high on my list of bringing me in. And that was for football. Yeah. But after taking that trip to Western, I knew immediately that, no, I didn't want to go out of town for football nowhere. So if I do get that track offer again, I'm going to take it. And, mm-hmm. and they called me back and they look, listen, man, we on probation. We don't have nothing. We saw you can play. But if you can play and you believe you can play, we're going to bring you in on the track scholarship anyway. You can walk onto the team. So I say, right. hey, what the, you know, if, if it's meant for me, then I'm gonna do it. And I thought that was just the best decision, you know, me, you know, for me, just experiencing going out of town and seeing the cold, the snow. I had never been anywhere, man, you know, out of state like that. And when I saw that snow in Western Michigan, I said, Yeah, I'm just like <laughs> so uh I quickly changed my mind and said, Yeah, I'll take that special shit. So you hung up on coach and then yeah. he still stuck with you though, and came back to you. He he probably knew just knowing dealing with a Carol City kid, man. We be some little knuckleheads, and <laughs> I'm sure Rod Mack and uh, Nate spoke well of me. But um, <laughs> you no know, track just wasn't something that I saw myself doing on the collegiate level. Right. Thank God that I was able to you know do it on a high level in high school that won me a state championship and won my team a state championship, and then later blessed me enough to be in the collegiate level doing it and also perform well in the collegiate level. But I just wanted to be a football player. That's all I wanted to do, and so I'm I'm thankful that that opportunity kind of, um, you know, granted me the, the chance to do both. Yeah, and, and when you think about that, like I said, you you end up going, because, like, you think about kids now, and they have a lot of decisions to make with schools. NIL is out there now, all this stuff. But you took a role that nobody had even thought about taking, which is, you know, this school might be for me, mm-hmm. um, even though all these other schools are coming after me, like I said, Utah, but this school might be for me, and I feel it. So, you know, even, even to that, to kids that have to make tough decisions – and bet them themselves because basically as you did you didn't have a football scholarship so the football team theoretically didn't have to stick by you they could have said nah man just go run track we don't really need you out here uh but you trusted in the process trusted in your ability and you went as a walk-on and of course ended up becoming one of the best receivers in miami uh, hurricanes history like what what was that process like just you know trusting in the process getting there as a you know quote-unquote walk-on well i'm big on faith um i I can't say i'm spiritual or a person that grew up in the church but i've always been a believer mm-hmm. and i'm like man i remember just a year ago i was about ready to tell my mom like hey well uh, i don't have no offer so you know school ain't looking promising for me i always right. said i can get a scholarship that's my way in you know what i mean I right. didn't, you know, we didn't have money for that 
So I was almost about to tell her that, give her that speech of like, hey, well, you know, I competed at the highest mom. I did all I could. Right. In the next year, I got offers out of the yin yang because of just, you know what I mean? So it showed me then. And I was always big on that. Like, don't give up until, you know, until it's just all over, you know, and it's never over. You know what I'm saying? So I was yeah. big on faith. And if faith brought me to that to that moment, my senior year, where now people are saying that I'm willing, they willing to risk a four year scholarship on me because of what I've done, then I should have that same faith of knowing that this team feels like I can walk on. And I know it's going to be better for my family wise being from Miami. We ain't have money to get send me to school. You think we got money to be taking flights to go to see me in school? You know what I'm right, saying? So right. I'm like, look, this is probably for me. You know, this is probably going to be uh, a blessing in disguise, honestly. You know, so go, go out there on the limp tunnel and, and 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 take a chance. And it was immediately, man, um, I played my freshman year. They literally took me off a scholarship, off a track scholarship, the fourth game into the season. And it was a wrap. The rest was history. Wow. Wow. And and when you look at, you know, yourself and then your little brother, you know, Sonoris, I, you know, I met him when he was with the Giants. Um, but, you know, what kind of, you know, goal – because him seeing you do that, and I'm guessing his path was a little bit different because you had already kind of set the path. You know, he yeah. was following your footsteps. But what was that like having a little brother coming up right behind you? It was funny, though, honestly, because, <laughs> you know, you look at my numbers at Carroll City, even though we didn't throw the ball, I lit it up my senior year. Right. And lighting it up to me is I had 25 catches for like 600 yards, 12 TDs, yeah. I think 11 are receiving and one kick return. My brother numbers nowhere near that and had a full ride. You know what I mean? So I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, these kids don't understand what it's like to hold on to someone's coat, coat, coat jacket. I'm like, man, give me, you know, repl- put me in his shoes. You know what I mean? But um, I, I appreciate it. Uh, uh, I appreciate the fact that someone had to be that guy. And it was, mm-hmm. you know what I mean, I feel like we all chosen, you know, in life to be that guy. Um, I remember growing up, man, just always saying, damn, I wish I had somebody that I can really hold on to or hang on to that can kind of show me the ropes. You know, I had an older brother, but my mom, from my mom, it was, I'm the oldest, you know what I mean? So right, right. My, my older brother didn't play sports, which I saw him every now and then, but I didn't have that person that I can really just say, I'm going to follow his lead. You know what I'm saying? So right. I was the guy. I had to go out there and find out the hard way. I had to hit the wall, hit the flow one way or another. You know what I mean? And that's what I experienced all through those processes. And to have two younger brothers under me watching me, it, it was great to kind of open them doors for them, you know? Yeah, man. And, you know, being in Baltimore, of course, you know, we saw the Redskins a lot. You know, we saw Washington a lot, just whether it's going to Club Love, whether it's, you know, we taking a trip down there, um, you know, and I was teammates with Ed Reed, who he knew all you guys. So I know we interacted a lot. But when you talk about, you know, you name the names of the Miami players. I mean, Jeremy Shockey, uh, Clint Portis, uh, Frank Gore, Edron James, Santana Moss, Reggie Wayne. I mean, you should go list DJ, you know I mean? There's DJ Johnson, you know, there's, or Daryl Johnson, but there's a lot of names that guys don't even know about. So then you go Sonoris Moss and you keep going. Uh, when you think about that lineage of, of the U football, man, what is it about Miami football that has been transcend? you know, cause now it's kind of trying to rebuild back up through NIL, uh, you know, coaching staff, so on and so forth. But for a long time, man, you guys, you know, dominated college football, but also getting players into the NFL. Because I remember my year, I think, you know, Mike Rump, Philip Buchanan, you know, yeah. guy after guy was coming out of Miami. Um, and it was crazy. You know, Bubba. I mean, it was so many guys. So what was that like for you? I mean, Vince Wilford, you know, like <laughs> y'all had like NFL practices in college. So what was that like? It was real. I mean, honestly, man, you have to um, you have to tip your head off to the guys that came before you. You know, um, that that stage alone was set. 
from the championships before us. Mm-hmm. You know, um, the 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 era of Erickson's, the era of Jimmy Johnson, those eras of the coach before those two guys. I can't pronounce his name. You might can do it better than me. Um, but they set the stage for us to even have the opportunity or, or the platform to really be known as one of those dominant forces in college football. And then it was about just getting the players, the brain of players in there. I think one of the things on my four years, what Coach Davis did a great job at is he was a hell of a you know recruiter. And he was a part of some of those championship eras. He was there with Jimmy Johnson at Miami. And then he also was there with Jimmy Johnson in Dallas, you know, when they went to the, to the NFL. So he knew what the teams needed. He knew where to go get them from. And he built that team. I watched him get a team that was on probation that had probably 12 scholarships. And everybody else, I remember my freshman year, it was the most walk-ons and freshmen ever in college history that played in a single season. We mm-hmm. had that, that 97 year. And I just remember him saying that the nucleus of our team is our freshman class and our sophomore class. And the sophomore class was Bubba Franks, Nate Webster, Edron oh, James. Yeah. You know, you name all of some of those guys. So we out the gate knew that, hey, man, in order for us to be – be like those guys who won the championships we got to take we got to take on that same personality which all those guys who had that background it was from florida or new orleans or texas some of the same places those other guys was from that won championships there and that's what we did i think we set the tone our our, our freshman year i remember the two g's the two g's was the 2000 class and they mm-hmm. all they damn near had their names around the hallways in school, which you're not supposed to be doing that on, on a college <laughs> campus. But you saw two G's everywhere. And you knew those guys played early as freshmen. Right. And we was like, immediately, we wanted a name. It was like, look, we want to be like those guys. So we named ourselves Deuce One. We the 2001 clique. We the class that's going to be coming out in 2001. And immediately before we even got a chance to play on the field, that was something that transpired that showed everybody, the, that 2000 class and the classes before them, that we was the classes that was going to change everything. And it came down to what they don't even probably do so do so much of now is hazing. Uh, they told us they was going to cut our hair. We're going to get hazed, blase, blase. And we went through that process and coaches, Coach Davis changed it. He mm-hmm. saw what transpired and said, you know what? These guys are not cutting their hair, so leave them alone. Right. We went back to the dorm room that night and we came back and said, man, we can't break tradition. So we all cut our own hair and picture day the next day we came with ball heads and everybody said that's the class, you know, and believe it or not, we set the tone that year. We was five and six that year. But I tell you, we had more starters from the freshman class than any class ever. So that was kind of like our breaking point. That was what, what showed our teammates who we was going to be. And we upped it from there. We say we wasn't, we cut our own hair. And then the next year, you know, being five and six, you know, you don't get a bowl game. We right. said, guess what? We're going to up that. From those ball heads, we went to Afros. And we said we would not cut them until we play our first bowl game. And the, the next year, we all went into that, that Micron PC bowl game oh, yeah. with, um, with with Froze. So we were just setting the bar every time we got a chance to. And from there, we say, look, we ain't leaving without a championship. And we all know what happened my senior year. They kind of robbed us from a championship. And But then later, the next year, those guys end up going back to back to championships. So it yep. was just – one of them situations, man, that 2001 class and that 2000 class was very special. And we got it from seeing the other guys, you know, the guys before us. Some of us was homegrown. So we got a chance to see Michael Irvin, you know, Kevin Williams. You know, I wouldn't I wouldn't have thought in a million years that I'd be up there playing punt return and breaking Kevin Williams records. When I sat in my grandmother house and my mom house and just watching this guy run up and down the field like he did. And here I am 
years later, you know, doing the same thing at a higher level. So, man, it was, it's amazing, man. But those guys set the bar and we just had to follow. Yeah, yeah. And the name I think you're trying to say is Howard Schnellenberger. Bingo. So, Bingo. yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, you got Jimmy Johnson after that, Dennis Harrison, Butch Davis, Larry Coker, Randy Shannon. So, yeah, man, when you, when you think about this whole process, though, um, of, of players you named and, and situations you named, are you guys kind of setting the tone? Um, when you talk about setting the tone and, and, and talking about the Washington football team, because one, I know, I know it was a shot getting drafted in New York. Cause tell me you hadn't seen snow and you got thrown right into the snow, <laughs> the biggest of snows. Um, <laughs> Cause I know we, I remember I was my rookie year. So it had been your second year was like a huge snowstorm between New yeah. York and Baltimore. Cause I remember we had to go out to LA early because they're like, look, it's going to be a flood. There's gonna be a storm. Like, so we got out of there. But when you think about your time, and, uh, you know, the players and all the stuff you've been through, man. And, and you look at the, the Washington football team at that time with the Redskins. Daniel Snyder, like I was there, like I said, I was there for a short amount of time. Uh, you know, knee never really got right, never fully got healthy. So I knew my time was, was going to come short. But I'll never forget being at practice. And I said, I've, I was only there for like the offseason and a little bit of training camp. So I know this had to happen more than not. Daniel Snyder showed up one time in a helicopter with like his friends. And like called Jason over the quarterback at the time from Auburn, called him over to meet his friends. I don't know if he called you over there, but I know Chris Cooley went over there and he treated it like, you know, like, hey, look, I'm the owner. This is my field. I'm going to land with my cop, my chopper. And I could just see coach looking over like, man, you got to be kidding me right now. Like, I'm trying to practice this dude trying to introduce people to his friends. But how how like much did that happen with Snyder and his friends and, and being around the program? Because I know for him, it was a, it was a, it was a game. It was fun. Like he he had these players at his disposal but what was that like to his offense uh to defense i mean to his defense um it probably happened once or twice okay um, i mean I, I experienced it my first year in 05 and it was neat it was like that's dope you know what i mean right. that's how I that. i'm like so i was lucky then i just got i happened to just yeah. be there for the next time <laughs> yeah for the next time I, I just thought it was dope but yeah most of those guys was guys either minority owners also mm -hmm. Yep. Or guys that he was trying to bring in to, to do to something be on, yep. on that um that level. So, you know, it was cool. Like we had so many different coaching staffs. I'm not mm -hmm. sure who was the coach when you was there. Uh was it Gibbs at the time still? It might have been Gibbs. Yeah, Gibbs was just Gibbs. back. So yeah, it was like Gibbs second time there, I guess. Bingo. So that was probably year three of Gibbs. Probably Gibbs last. So were you there in 07 or 06? Uh 06. 06, 07, yeah. Okay, so um Gibbs understood that, you know, that's what he, he will come out right. and do that every now and then. It really never really been a problem. Like one of the things I can say that um, he respected what we had to do. You know, yep. I mean, one of the, that's one of the things I found that when you watch and hear some of the hoopla that goes on yeah. about Mr. Snyder, which some of it was kind of outright, you know, I guess you can say, you know, it was caused because it was caused. You know what I mean? I, right. I, I have no control of that. Only the people who caused it. Uh, but um, for the stuff that you hear outside of that, when it came to what the, our product on the field, you can't blame them for a lot of that. Because right. the one thing I can say, if you want to blame them, you probably blame them for some of the picks that he went out there that the team didn't think that we need. But for the most part, he was trying to have a, a winning program. You know, he right. was he was going to pay the big dollars for whoever it may have been that he felt like he can go buy and bring to this team and make it better. You see it done now. Everybody is trying to go and piece their teams up together to get championship Correct. teams. Back then, it wasn't done that way. You know what I'm saying? And what you want to do is bring in guys that basically fit the mold of what your coaching staff looking for. We didn't have a lot of that in those years. Those 10 years of me playing, I remember 
getting pissed sometimes watching guys come in and like he just don't fit this system. Right. He don't fit this system. He's great. He he went over there and did a whole lot of things over there, but here we're doing something totally different from what he he can bring. So when I look back at it from that standpoint, that's the only thing that he probably missed, missed, you know, when it came to getting guys. And you kind of lean on the coaches like, well, y'all should have said something, you know what I mean? But right. at the same time, how much could you say to the guy who owned the team? Correct. And being a stern guy, you know, it probably were, probably was hard to even talk to him in that tone. But um, outside of that story that you gave, it was a great story. But, like, it really didn't bother us to that. To right. that I think it was always – you know, to me, I, I I used to look at it like, man, that is that is awesome. I wish, <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> you know, I wish yeah, I, no, because I because I know Bashadi, like for him, he really didn't deal with practice, mm -hmm. but he would show up like in a Lambo or something. But mainly, like the thing for Bashadi was like he would come to Ray Lewis's parties, and that was the weirdest thing for me. You know, Ray and them, you know, y'all was like y'all y'all position on the team was solid, so Ray could party all night and then show up for OTAs late. Like for us, you know, we were rookies at the time. It was me, Reed, Will Demps, Terry Jones, Chester Taylor. I think we were probably third year guys. And we're sitting over here at Ray's birthday party, like, man, we got to go, man. Bashadi here. Like, we, we can't be here at two in the morning with the owner. And then we found out later, like, Bashadi's like, look, man, y'all grown men, do your job. Uh, yeah. So, like, I started to understand it is a business. And he's yeah. like, look, I'd rather you be here than be downtown. You yeah. know what I mean? And that's that's kind of how Ray started living his life. And I'm pretty sure you saw it. Like, he wanted I, to be more in control. You know, not to cut you off, I had one even better. When I first got here, the thing I appreciated about this organization, because like you said, I came from New York. Yeah. And it was they were stern on how they wanted you to live your life outside of football, which is cool. But you can't tell grown men what to do. And right. even young young men what to do. And uh, I really wasn't out there in New York wilding because I initially, you know, my first – year I, I was hurt i was hurt before i even played a game so um but i remember having my my homeboy up and he was living with me um bo rogers he came from western michigan mm -hmm. and he ended up he ended up being a free agent pickup by the giants but he was living with me in long island and at night he would go out in my truck and no one had the truck like mine you know right. those, you have a spin, spinners on your truck and <laughs> a certain color they know it's your truck so right. especially in long island new york they had a we had a guy on our security um team that was an OX ex FBI agent. Yep. He would come and say, I'm out late night. And I'm like, right. I'm in the house with a damn brace on my knee. I'm not out late night. That's my homeboy. But they just kept putting it on me. So if if I'm a young man, I'm 22 years old, I know I'm a young man, come and ask me these questions. Don't accuse me. Right. And I remember having those moments of being accused, and it really wasn't me until one day they found out it wasn't me. Fast forward, I get here in Washington. If we was going out, they send out they send their security team with us. Like, Port's got a party. All right, we're gonna send two guys to the party to make sure all you guys are straight. You get back home. So I appreciated that you know this team was kind of allowing us to be men. And then on top of that, Coach Gibbs even shared a story. Like, look, you know I've won championships with guys that wasn't like me. And what he meaning, Coach Gibbs is, I uh, mean, talking about Christian. You know, he's Jesus. Mm -hmm. That's how we looked at him. You know what I mean? He's a he's a, a big time Christian and things he believed in. You know, you didn't get 53 guys believing in the same thing that he believed in. You know what I'm saying? Right, Coach, first, you understand? But he understood that you have to have knuckleheads on your team that's going to do stuff outside of what you believe in and still be able to control that enough to where as long as they do what they're doing between those white lines, that's all you can ask. And he's yeah. a man like, look, you can hang out. You can do what you want to do. 
But when it's time to work, you better be in between these white lines doing doing what I ask. And if right. not, you'll see yourself out the door. So when you're men, bro, we're supposed to be handled like men. And I think that's something big. And I appreciated that being up here in Washington because we was we we was we was hold accountable for our actions, but we was also allowed to do go out there and do as we please. Yeah, no, definitely, definitely. And when you look at uh the Washington football team now is looking at new ownership. When you heard the team could be worth six to seven billion dollars, did that shock you? Or were you just like, man, this is crazy? You know, them numbers are always bogus to me. So I don't be like, nah. <laughs> like, you know, first thing I ask, how much did he buy the team for? Because it's, it's a win, you know, regardless right. of what you. Yeah, like $800,000, I think is what yeah, he bought it for. Like, yeah. He won. You know what I mean? I mean, <laughs> you're getting six, six, six B's for it. You won. I don't care how many other people's hands are in that pot. Right. But, um, no, it's crazy, man. But that's the evolution of our game. I think our game has just transcended to 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 uh in a way that i don't think none of us could imagine and i remember watching it where back in the day when i was young football was only like once a week you know what right. i mean you yep. barely hear anything about football you had to wait for that saturday for college or that sunday for pro and now it's every day it's yep. something about football you turn on sports center you turn on get up you turn on you know um, um good morning football all that stuff football is every day so it's one of those sports now that, you know, I, I honestly understand now why, you know, the value is what it is, because the TV deals are crazy. The the the, uh, the contracts of these young men now is crazy. You know, you're talking about hundred million dollar contracts, man. We That right. was like unheard of, you know, around the time we played. But it's great for the game. And I think that it's only going to probably get better. And, you know, I just hope that we're able to be able to still have the same game when those numbers go up or whether they go down or not, because it's just crazy when you see so much has been taken away also when it comes to just health reasons, you know, making sure these guys are able to live healthy lives when they leave the game, you know? Yeah, man. I had a chance to sit down with CP. Uh, he and I were here in New York like every week doing our uh, masters or sorry, MBA through Fordham university. And so he and I got a chance to catch up a bunch in New York and then, you know, I had him on the show. But one thing I remember about being in that locker room, man, is you Sean and CP, man, y'all was like, Thick as thieves, you know what I mean? Like braided, three strands braided together, always together, always, you know, whether it's practicing, after practice, you know, charity events, um, you know, and, and again, being in Baltimore, I was around when that happened. But, you know, having a teammate like Sean Taylor, man, and then losing him, man, I, I know you've been through a lot of emotions through that whole process, but, you know, give me a little insight into that. Oh, well, you know, honestly, um, one of the things I learned quickly um, when it came to just losing someone as close as Sean was to us is you need to cherish every moment. You know yeah. what I mean? I mean, you sit there and think this thing is going to be promised next week and the week after that next year. And it's not. And it was crazy because I felt, you know, Sean played with my brother, you know, at uh, UM. My brother mm -hmm. came in right after me and Sean played his years through the, you know, with Sonora. So I didn't really, get to know Sean until I became a Redskin. But I saw him a lot passing when I would come home in the offseason and, and and go out there and work out with those guys. But you just you just looking at a kid that just looked like he's destined for for you know for the yeah. NFL. Like I used to watch him from afar like this is a big dude out here playing safety, <laughs> you know. And then you come and be a teammate of him, man, and they set me next to him on the planes, on the trips that we had to go to uh different uh teams or different states. We would sit next to each other. And then in the meeting room, we found ourselves sitting next to each other. So we was always chopping it up. Mm -hmm. And some of the things I, I look I look back on now is just remembering that whole week leading up to his death. We was we was in a training room together on the table next to each other getting worked on. He, 
he shared me the inside out story of what had transpired at his house mm -hmm. before he went down there to check on it. And it was already, you know, I, I remember the conversation like it was yesterday. It makes, I get goosebumps talking about it because I remember just talking like, hey man, lucky them one was there, they ain't take nothing. And then fast forward, he went down there because he knew his family was going home and he was off, you know, we was going to Tampa to play. I had got healthy enough to go play in Tampa. He was still kind of nicked up. So he said, hey, I'm going to go down here and check on my family since they're going home. And he was just going home to protect his family. He knew right. his, his girl and his daughter was going down there. So he didn't want to, he didn't want them to be in that house by itself, knowing what happened. And he wanted to be there just in case these guys came back. And here I am talking about just in case they did, you know. So, right. um, but on the lighter side, man, Sean was a great dude, man. I mean, for what some of the things that were said about him, after the fact, if you really knew him as a person, man, you'd just shake your head and be like, wow. Right. Got it wrong. You know, you were so terrified the way he played the game, which you want a guy to play that position that way, that it led you to believe that that's the way he lived his life. Right. He was, man, one of the most caringest persons that I've ever been around. You know, and I feel like I'm one of those persons with a big heart. He was second to none. I mean, the dude cared for everybody, would speak to everybody. Uh, that week was Thanksgiving weekend uh, that he passed on. And I remember Thanksgiving, he got up and told every coach, happy Thanksgiving. I was sitting there looking at him with the side face like, because, you know, some of the coaches you don't be cool with, man. You know, how we, ain't always, <laughs> we ain't always cool with all those coaches, man. Some of the coaches, we just don't. So I'm looking at the side, I'm like, man, sit down, man. You ain't got to tell him happy Thanksgiving. But that was Sean, you know what I'm saying? Honestly, yeah. and him sitting next to me, and I was sitting there like, bro, why you did that? And he was like, no, man. Ten, I'm just happy, man. I'm, I'm thankful, you know. And boom, next day, you know what I'm saying. So yeah, that was life, man. Life. I if I was I was speeding, you know, you probably you know people fail to realize because like now you get the chance to experience it when you're winding down and and you kind of now you out the game, but you experience life differently now. You know what I mean? When you're playing ball, I'm pretty sure. I'm not the only guy that felt like I was just speeding through life. Like every year was like football, you yep. get a break, football, you get a break, football. You got to cram everything into one one or two months. And you go back to playing football. So now sitting back, reflecting and looking back on it, man, uh, the year that he passed was the first time I kind of like pinched myself. Like, hey, I need to slow down, you know. Yeah. I need to really take a look at what was going on around me. I had kids. Like, what is my purpose? You know what I'm saying? And, and – um, I told myself, I made a little pack with myself. Like, I don't know how long I got. I think that was year, that was 2007. So it had to be year seven for me. Mm -hmm. I was saying to myself, look, man, for every time I touch this field, I want to allow this guy to play with me. I know he up there looking down on us, man, because he loved that game more than anybody. I don't right. think no man in that locker room at that time loved football more than Sean Taylor. And so I told myself, man, every time I step on that field, I, I want. I hope you know. I'm. I'm a believer in all things. It, it, it can happen. I'm like, if you want to play, come play with me. Come give me your spirit. You know what I mean. Come put a little more in me to go out there and make the plays that I know I can make. That, but I know that you want me to make too as well. So I kind of play. I kind of um, you know did that for my for the rest of my career. I wanted to pay homage to my friend, man, and just let him know. That's why I threw up the, the, the two one every time I scored and made a play. Just letting him know, man. I'm you know I'm thinking about him every day, and I wish he was still here with us. Yeah, man. No, I remember being in that locker room 2006. Like, like I said, you too, man. Like y'all, y'all were like, cause I already knew Clinton a little bit, but y'all were just like walking in there. Some locker rooms, you know, man, every locker room ain't cool. You know, yeah. you walk in, some dudes got they, 
you know, they act funny or, they, you know, but y'all, man, I'll never forget that. Cause I remember your like, I think it was your charity event or something, but it was like, no matter who you were, you know, you was inviting people like, Hey man, I got my charity deal. You want to come out, come out. We're going to have a little bowling or this, or blah, blah, you know? Mm-hmm. So, and that's how I got to meet Sean. And so it, it was, and then I remember playing against him though in 2004, cause we played y'all in the preseason, which I'll never forget. That was the first time I ever realized the Washington football cheerleaders <laughs> are in the way. Like they are in our tunnel to distract us. Like, <laughs> I remember our chaplain. I'll never forget our chaplain walking off the field because he knew he knew he repaired. He was preparing the younger guys who had not been to Washington. And we were walking off the field. And he was like, man, Jesus be a fence. He's like, I'm going to tell you all now. And we didn't get it until we got in the tunnel. And they're like in the tunnel stretching. And we're like, oh, man, come on. Oh, man. But it was a preseason game, too. So, like, a lot of the vets were just laughing, like, man, whatever. This game don't even matter. But I'm playing one quarter. I'm playing one snap. So we was all joking in the locker room, but our, our chaplain made us like he made the whole mood light. But I remember that. I remember seeing Sean Taylor on the field for the first time because I remember him at Miami mm-hmm. and I'm six three and we yeah. was looking eye to eye. And I'm like, God dang, yeah. like, how's a safety this big? Because he was because that was his rookie year. So we had to play special teams, too. So we had to face him in special teams. And I'm like, man, this dude six three running a faux faux like this ain't right. Like there ain't no way this dude is moving this fast and this big, but like, he was super like, like he'll hit you, but it was all out of respect. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like he wasn't a dirty he dude. Was yeah. He was going to hit you. And then he was going to dap you up and, you know, after the game. And, and that's why I think that the game has changed so much. People thought it was malicious, but it was just how we were taught growing up. Yeah. Uh, but last one, before I get out of here, man, when you think about the NFL draft uh, and all these teams, and what's what's going to transpire when you think about, you know, for instance, Kirk Cousins, because you've been around him. Yeah. Um, how important is it for some teams like the Minnesota Vikings to possibly draft like a Hendon Hooker uh, when, you know, Kirk Cousins is towards the end of his year or possibly trade for a Trey Lance? They can sit behind Kirk for another year or two. I think it's vital. You know, that's why I'm still scratching my head about how did Brett Favre leave Green Bay mad because they got Aaron Rodgers. And now mm-hmm. how fast forward all these years later. Aaron Rodgers is pissed off for the last four years because <laughs> they picked the guy who they picked up, uh, Love, right? It's Jordan yeah. Love, something like that. So I don't get it, man. These guys are so, I guess you can say, insecure in a sense because that's how I look at it. That's insecurity. Every year I knew it was a guy coming in for my mm-hmm. job. And guess what? It's their right to pick that guy because guess what? I might fall off or I might, you know, get complacent. So you got to have that guy behind you to check you. So speaking in the terms of a quarterback, you need that next guy. You don't know if Kirk Cousins go down. This right. year, you know what I mean? Or whatever. And you want to knock on wood because I always said on no one. But you need a replacement. You need a guy that's better than the backup. You need a guy that can be the backup for right now, but can also potentially be the starter. So yeah. I think it's vital for every team to have that kind of guy, especially at the quarterback position, especially with the money that we spending on quarterbacks these days. They are the franchise. They are the organization. You know, they are the CEOs of the corporation, if you want to put it like that. And so, therefore, if that guy's sick and can't come to work, you got to have somebody to step in for him and be able to keep things running. So, it's vital, brother. All right, man. I appreciate everything you do, man. I appreciate uh, your friendship. Uh, thanks for coming on the Ron Johnson Show. Uh, and, and, of course, like all, all strength coaches, I lied. Uh, one more quick one. When you think about Kirk Cousins and the hate that he gets, uh, but you, he went thir- 13-4 and four this season. Justin Jefferson had a prolific season. Uh, what is it about, like, is the Washington Redskins Kirk Cousins following him now? Like, what is it about Kirk Cousins that people can't let go of when a guy wins 13 games? I just don't get it, man. Honestly, you know, um, everybody wants someone to look like the next man. Yeah. They want Kirk to be the next quarterback that say, oh, 
this is what he does well. He drives the ball down the field and he right. scores whenever time things are on the line. Or they want the quarterback to say, well, he takes over the games and he finds a way to win. Well, every quarterback isn't, you know, drawn up to be that guy. You know what I mean? I think one of the things that Kirk Cousins does well is pick you, dice you apart, especially to give him time. He's going to put that ball in your chest area. You know what I'm right. saying? I, right. I love about him. He's going to get the ball into his playmakers and let them do the and do the rest. And that's what I love about Kirk Cousins. Hey, Kirk, if you ever listen to this, don't change the game for nothing. Continue to be the man that you are. I love it. I love who you are in the community with your kids, with your teammates, man. And keep making them mad. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. I like that. We well, appreciate you, Santana, man. Me, myself, and Sam. We're going to do a quick one, though, and then we'll be done. But I uh, appreciate you, Santana, man. Thank you, buddy. All right. Well, Sam, that'll do it for us today, man. Santana Moss, that was an awesome interview. Uh, love sitting down with him. He is a guy that is underrated, I feel like. Like, I feel like his route running, his ability on the field, uh, it's just underrated. Like, you know, like a, a Zay Flowers, a Steve Smith. Like, I feel like Santana Moss uh, goes into that Steve Smith category. A little bit undersized, super fast, super strong, makes plays. Um, but just his whole like not having a scholarship. I don't think a lot of people knew that not having a scholarship for football at Miami, but still going like a lot of kids today definitely are not taking a track scholarship to go play football at any school right now, the way this NIL is set up. But, uh, you know, and then this whole hazing story of them shaving their own heads bald. Uh, it's kind of when, you know, Miami, they said this is the class and they were. You think about, you know, all those guys, plus them recruiting Ed Reed and some more guys after that. Like that was uh, that was ridiculous. That was a ridiculous group of kids. Uh, you know, Ed Reed, uh, what was it, Reggie Wayne, Santana Moss, like, my goodness, Vince Wilfork. That's that's crazy. That's crazy to think about the names of the University of Miami. I don't know, Sam, but uh, before we get out of here, one last quick one, what'd you think? Uh, I am almost 100% sure. I used to do a podcast with uh, Sage Rosenfels, the old quarterback, oh, yeah. who played yep. for Washington. I'm almost positive that he also had the chopper story that you had, um, which is Wild. If, if it only happened a few times, um, I'm pretty sure that Sage told me that story and you told me that story. So it definitely happened a couple times. Uh, but that that to me still <laughs> slays me that he just popped in on the chopper. Hey, come on. Say hi. What's up? Um, that's uh, that's pretty funny. Yeah. And if you if you wonder what we're talking about, uh, you might have missed it in the interview. Go back. And listen, it's just a helicopter story with an owner pulling up on the football field. It's just a normal day on a on a on a, on a Wednesday uh, in Washington. But I'm Ron Johnson. That's Sam Ekstrom. Uh, this is Locked On Sports Minnesota, and this is the Ron Johnson Show. Please like, share, subscribe, people. Go to wherever you get your podcast: iTunes, Spotify, iHeartMedia app, which is free. Whichever one, we don't care. Just hit the follow button, and we'll be with you every step of the way. Have a great one, people.